Thank you, and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, evolutionary scientists continue to seek an explanation for how life arose on Earth. And a telescope that will be used to search for that kind of information was just launched on Christmas Day of 2021. Yes, Scott, the James Webb Space Telescope. We'll call it the JWST. Hmm. Was sent into space just a few weeks ago. It is replacing the famous Hubble telescope. Oh, really? We should start getting fantastic pictures of our magnificent universe from it very soon. And part of the JWST mission is to search for evidence for the chemical evolution of life, also known as abiogenesis or spontaneous generation. Now, trying to show how abiogenesis could occur is an important quest for evolutionists who deny any kind of special creation to account for life on Earth. But to say they are attempting to explain how life arose on Earth is not the most accurate way to describe it. They are looking for where life may have originated in outer space and then arrived on Earth. Oh, I get it. So they're looking for how life may have arrived on Earth, not arose on Earth. That's it. And the change in focus has largely come about due to the vast amount of knowledge we're gaining about the complexity of living organisms at the molecular, that is, biochemical level. What they are figuring out is the molecules and the interactions between them involving the chemicals that make up living organisms simply can't have just spontaneously formed on Earth. Even if you imagine allowing over a billion years for those reactions to occur. Hmm. But the hope that such complex chemistry may have developed somewhere else in the galaxy motivates numerous astronomers and astrobiologists to look for planets outside our solar system that they propose could harbor prebiotic systems. And so, in light of the launching of the James Webb Space Telescope, I want to discuss an article I came across that was published in 2019 in the Smithsonian Magazine. The title is Searching for the Key to Life's Beginnings. It's by David Brown. And the subtitle says, From Exoplanets to Chemical Reactions, Scientists Inch Closer to Solving the Great Mystery of How Life Forms from Inanimate Matter. And to clarify, exoplanets are planets outside of our solar system. That's right. And what the discipline of astronomy seems largely focused on these days is the search for exoplanets. Now, you might ask, what is the fascination with detecting a blob of matter orbiting some other star hundreds, even thousands of light years away? And wouldn't it be more potentially beneficial to learn all we can about what's in our own solar system? Yep. Well, I can suggest an answer. It's because it's very important to evolutionists who are desiring to come up with some plausible explanation for where life could have spontaneously arisen in the universe and then made its way to Earth. And that would preclude the need for life to develop from inanimate matter on Earth. Mm -hmm. But, Dr. Scripture, if most scientists have pretty much come to the conclusion that that could not have happened on Earth, even given four billion years, why is it considered possible on some other planet somewhere else in the galaxy? Now, that's an excellent question, Scott. Thank you. And I've never heard a good answer to that question. There just seems to be a vague, assumed sense that there's more time for life to have formed out there somewhere, or conditions were present somewhere that were even more conducive to the formation of a living system than on Earth. And I think we'll see that kind of assumed mindset in this article. So, let's start reading from the article. Quote, 
Before 1976, when Viking 1 and 2 became the first spacecraft to successfully land and operate on the surface of Mars, the global imagination longed desperately for a red planet that harbored life. The Viking landers were designed to test for microbes, but the real hope held by even the most jaded planetary scientists was that NASA's spacecraft would discover complex life on Mars, something that scurried, or maybe a scraggly shrub. (laughs) Mars, after all, was our last, best hope after astronomers and the Mariner 2 spacecraft forever vanquished the notion of dinosaurs stamping across humid bogs on Venus. (laughs) It was Mars or bust. Mercury was just too close to the sun, and it was believed that beyond the asteroid belt laid a no-microbes land of gas giants and frozen moons. The exploration of the solar system since Viking has represented a world-by-world grasping for something, anything, that might suggest life as we know it or life as we don't. Today, the oceans of Jupiter's moon, Europa, are what the swamps of Venus and canals of Mars were for the 20th century. Perhaps the best option for annihilating human loneliness. NASA's Europa Clipper will attempt to determine the icy moon's habitability. Some future lander or swimmer will have to find the life if it's there. The habitable zone of the solar system now includes, potentially, every planet in the solar system. Enceladus and Titan circling Saturn are good candidates, as is Triton around Neptune. Like water, life might be everywhere. So, Dr. Scripture, in previous programs, we've talked about the idea of a planet being in the habitable zone or Goldilocks zone. Mm -hmm. It would have to have an orbit around a star that could at least allow organisms to exist. That's right. I recall it was understood that only Earth occupied what was considered to be the habitable zone around our sun. Now it sounds like some scientists are saying any planet beyond the Earth in our solar system is in the habitable zone? Well, that's what it sounds like to me, Scott. They claim that if there's water, there can be life. Ah, yes. The notion that all you need to get life is water. Just add dirt, stir for a billion years, and voila, life will happen. (laughs) Almost that silly. It gets presented ridiculously sometimes. And I'll keep reading then, and you'll see what I mean. Quote, the sparking of life from lifelessness, known as abiogenesis, is a process that scientists are only beginning to understand. Astronomers, biologists, chemists, and planetary scientists work together to painstakingly piece together a puzzle that crosses disciplines and celestial objects. For example, carbonaceous chondrites, some of the oldest rocks in the solar system, were recently found to harbor pyruvic acid, which is essential for metabolism. When chondrites rain down on this planet as meteorites, they may well have fertilized a lifeless Earth. This theory doesn't answer the all-consuming question, where did we come from? But it does present yet another clue in the search for how it all began. Then I'm going to skip a little farther forward in the article, which talks about abiogenesis. Abiogenesis doesn't even require DNA, or at least not DNA as it exists in all known life forms. DNA consists of four nucleotide bases. But earlier this year, geneticists created a synthetic DNA using eight bases. 
They dubbed it Hashimoji DNA. Okay. <laughs> this strange genetic code can form stable double helices. It can reproduce. It can even mutate. The scientists did not create life. They did, however, prove that our conception of life is provincial at best. Okay, wait, wait, just a minute. <laughs> yeah, really? Geneticists created a type of DNA that uses eight bases, but the DNA of living things only uses four. Mm -hmm. How does making up something even more complex than what exists support the idea that DNA could form by chance? <laughs> Scott, those kinds of questions are too practical and realistic for the purposes of explaining how abiogenesis could occur. Point taken. The discipline, if we could call it that, of theorizing how abiogenesis could occur is much more imaginative ah. than empirical. <laughs> and just how much imagination, or perhaps extrapolation is the appropriate word, is involved in the claims that a suitable candidate for abiogenesis has been found is demonstrated in these statements describing the search for Earth-like exoplanets. I'll continue to quote from the article. While work in laboratories will help define how life could spring from inanimate matter, space telescopes like Kepler, which ended operations in 2018, and TESS, which launched in 2018, are finding new planets to study. These spacecraft search for exoplanets using the transit method, detecting minute decreases in a star's light as a planet passes between it and us. Kepler alone discovered at least 2,662 exoplanets. Most are inhospitable to life as we know it, though a handful are sometimes characterized as Earth-like. John Wentz, author of The Lost Planets, says, When we say we found the most Earth-like planet, People sometimes mean that the radius is right, the mass is right, and it has to be in the habitable zone. But we know that most of those discovered exoplanets are around red dwarf stars. Their environment isn't bound to be very Earth-like, and there's a good chance a lot of them aren't going to have atmospheres. Okay, I need to interrupt again. He's talking about a planet being in a star's habitable zone, you know, speculating about its environment, its atmosphere— and yet all they actually have observed is a change in the amount of light we detect from a star as a supposed planet passes between it and us. <laughs> How can they make any statements about the planet's properties? I have to admit, Scott, I simply don't know. But I find their claims very hard to take serious. Here's more from the article. The most promising Earth 2.0 exoplanet found so far is Kepler-452b, which is somewhat larger than Earth, with a bit more mass and has a pleasing 385-day orbit around a sun-like star. The problem is that it might not exist, hmm. as a study suggested. It might simply be statistical noise, as its detection was on the margin of Kepler's capabilities. But now the newly launched James Webb Space Telescope will target many of the exoplanets discovered by Kepler and TESS. It will only be able to resolve the distant worlds to a pixel or two, but it will answer pressing questions in exoplanet science. The Habitable Exoplanet Catalog currently lists 52 worlds outside our solar system that might support life, though the news might not be quite so thrilling as that being the correct distance from a star for surface temperatures to hover above freezing and below boiling is not the only requirement for life, and certainly not the only requirement for life to start. 
Marcus Jacino Maldonado, a researcher at the University of Puerto Rico, said, quote, According to the primordial soup theory, molecules in salty water react and eventually originate life. But those reactions are believed to spark only in a place called the abiogenesis zone. This is the critical area around the star in which precursor molecules important to life can be produced by photochemical reactions. The correct amount of ultraviolet light hitting a planet from its host star is one way that life could arise from organic molecules. However, the UV photochemistry to produce these cellular building blocks must be around 200 to 280 nanometers. Jacino Maldonado says that in his work, this concept was applied to the habitable exoplanet model. Of all the habitable exoplanets, only eight of them are found within the habitable zone and the abiogenesis zone. But although all eight are in both habitable and abiogenesis zones, none are particularly favorable for life. Each of the eight worlds is either a super-Earth or a mini-Neptune. The most likely candidates are Kepler-452b, if it exists, <laughs> and maybe Tau Ceti, if its radius is appropriate. No Earth-sized worlds have yet been discovered in both the habitable and abiogenesis zones. So, Scott, it's exciting that the new James Webb Space Telescope has been launched. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing more pictures of our beautiful universe. But despite what the evolutionists need to find as support for the idea of abiogenesis on some exoplanet, it's apparent from their own statements, finding abiogenesis is wishing upon a star. But what isn't a wish is this. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.